Well, it's great to be with you all this morning uh, for the third Sunday in our doctrine series. Today we're going to be looking at the doctrine of creation, and yes, we have a lot to go through, so I'm going to try to move through as, as quickly as I can uh, to touch on um, some key topics as it pertains to the doctrine of creation. So the passage again is Genesis 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, please turn there if you haven't already in your Bibles. Today we're going to move through in broad chunks through this passage, and I'm going to focus on preaching apologetically as we make a defense for creation and as we look theologically to the truth of the doctrine of creation. So with that, let's jump into our text. First chunk is verses 1 to 5 of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. This is essential to the Christian worldview, friends, that the universe, that all of creation had a beginning, right? If the effect was that the universe and time itself came into existence, then there must be a first cause. There must be a first mover that's outside of time in an eternal realm, right? There must be a mind behind the universe, So here in verses 1 to 5, we see in the beginning, God created. Here we see the transcendent nature of God who exists apart from all that he creates. We know, friends, that something cannot come from nothing. And the universe, which at one point did not exist, cannot create itself. That doesn't make logical sense. Nothing cannot create Something. But we know, friends, that something exists now, of course. Therefore, something must exist that has no beginning. Well, what has no beginning? Or rather, who? God. Our eternal God, the intelligent designer. So as we move through, we're going to make a case for creation. And that's going to equip us to have those conversations maybe with family members or friends when we're asked about why we believe what we believe when it comes to creation. So as we move through our text, we'll, we will see that God takes the unordered, unfilled creation and he creates order, right? The spirit of God hovering over the primordial waters. And important to note, friends, God created without any pre-existing material, right? He, he simply called things into existence and formed them. This is quite a mystery. We humans cannot create in this way. We always have to use materials and we form them into things. But God created without pre-existing material. So the universe came into being then, not by chance, but rather by design. This is what scripture says, and it's what, it's what makes the most logical sense of the most evidence as we look to the created world. So God makes sense of the origin of the universe as well as the complexity of the universe. Well, the classic question then that we might get asked is, well, if God created the universe, then who created God? Who created God? Well, Stay with me here. The answer to that question is that God, by his very nature, God did not come into being, right? He is everlasting. He's eternal. He has always been and always will be. 
So God's existence is not contingent on time, right? He is eternal. In fact, he created time itself, right? And so, as we know, friends, things can only come into existence, being born, or move out of existence, dying, within the construct of time. But God is not bound by time. He created time. Therefore, God does not need to be created. He is the great I am, right? The ever-present, everlasting one. His nature is eternal. So as we move through here in creation, we see that God is personal and that he speaks and acts. And as we reflect on this first chunk quickly, verses 1 to 5, it's important for us to note that the Trinity was involved in creation. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And as we relate this to John, um, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, Scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Right? So the very logos of God, Jesus, intimately involved in the creation of all things, God speaking, right? Speaking through his word and bringing creation into being. So God orders all things through his word by his spirit, and he does so in six days. This is the view of the scriptures, and in my view, as I read the Bible, six 24-hour days is is what I see. But nonetheless, let's move forward. Next chunk, verses 6 to 10. All right, so on day one, God says, let there be light, and there was light. Now here on day two, we hear of the creation of the expanse and the separation of the waters. So here, friends, the watery deep is structured into a benevolent system of rain clouds and springs and rivers. The sky and the atmosphere, all of this starts to take shape. God starts to order all things, right? So what's important for us to note, friends, is our God continues to order all of these things by intentional, intelligent design, right? This is not a random evolutionary process, God is orderly, and he orders all things. Now, friends, let's, let's just look at a theory for a second. You might be familiar with the theory of the, the Big Bang. Now, the Big Bang theory is a theory, um, is a physical theory that, that basically describes how the universe expanded from an initial state of high density and temperature. And the Big Bang, which is widely accepted now in the scientific community, The Big Bang, they say, was the beginning of time as we know it, and the universe has been constantly expanding, right, from that initial point. So if you rewind, you're left with the question, what started the bang? And if true science is based on cause and effect relationships, which it is, true science, we know that whatever begins to exist has a cause. And if the effect of what they call the Big Bang was the start of the known universe, then what caused the bang? Well, science is stuck with this question. 
Now, let us forget about the Big Bang Theory for a second. The Bible tells us the truth. Something outside of time, outside of the universe, caused it to come into existence. Right? This is what we believe as Christians. There's an eternal mind that caused temporal reality to begin. There is a designer. The scriptures are clear. The cause is our God. Let's keep moving. Verses 11 to 15. We hear of the separation of water and dry land. As well, we hear that the earth start to be prepared as a habitation for man and animal. Right? We see vegetation and fruit coming forth. And so God, we see here, is a preserver and sustainer. It is by his power and design, friends, think of it, that we are fed and nourished. Do you ever meditate on the intricacy of the fruits of the earth feeding us? Right? This is not by chance. This is design. God creates, he upholds, and he preserves all things, and he continues to sustain us, to nourish us. And so we then in day four, moving forward, hear of the creation of the light bearers, right? The stars, the sun, the moon, luminaries. Can you imagine, friends, how many things had to be put just in the right place for us to even be able to survive on earth? This is not chance. Think about the fine-tuning of the universe, the complexity and the, the orderly intricacy of the created world. Right? God had to order all of this. God who is involved in ordering creation. This is what we see here in Genesis. If he wasn't friends, then we would be left in chaos. And everything would lead to chaos as well. But we have an orderly creation. And there's always a mind behind that order. Think of it, friends. Think of a, a cell phone, for example, or a computer or a building or anything um, that, that human beings have made. There's always a mind behind that created thing. So with the universe as well. And so we can meditate on the complexity of creation. Verses 16 to 21, moving forward. Day four continues, then day five, we hear about the creation of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And God creates all these creatures according to their kinds. Important to note, friends, God does not say that all creatures stemmed from one kind. He doesn't say that creatures stem from each other. God creates different animals and different species intentionally and purposely. Purposefully, this isn't evolution, this is creation. Even as we understand the problems with evolution, even if we posit that Darwin had been right, which he's not, but even if he had been right, his theory couldn't have got off the ground without essential preconditions. One, evolution fails to deal with the formation of the universe itself. It just assumes this. And two, aside from Darwin's main work being titled On the Origin of Species, he fails to give an answer as to where the origin of the first life came from in the first place. It's a weak theory. Let's move forward here and look at creation. Bigger chunk this time, verses 22 to 28. So we keep moving. 
So day five into day six, we hear of the creation of the beast of the field, the livestock, creeping things, and man from verse 26 onward. So as we come to day six, we hear God say, let us make man in our image. That's verse 26. Man who will have dominion, not domination, but dominion over the created order on earth. Right? That we would rule it rightly, tending to creation. Man who's created in the image of God, male and female. My friends, two biological sexes. And friends, how we must pray for our world and our families and our friends that may be struggling with this in this time. As we've seen, friends, the the rejection of this, uh, this basic truth leads to much, much suffering. But we know, friends, everyone is, is searching for that identity and where they're going to find it is in Jesus Christ. And so we know that the love of Jesus can heal any brokenness that our world is experiencing. And so we don't lose heart as we look to the truth of Scripture. And as we even look to the intricacy, we've been looking to, at the intricacy of creation. Think of our Think of our bodies, for example, our immune systems, organs, digestive systems, a a heart that beats and pumps blood throughout our body, lungs that allow us to breathe, and DNA, which we hardly understand. Well, if information is the hallmark of mind, then purely from the evidence of genetics and biology, we can infer the existence of a mind that is far greater than our own. Creation is quite complex. Moving forward, friends, we know that our life consists of moment-by-moment dependence on God for our existence, right? He is the designer. He is the sustainer of our lives. And the world is continually open to his creative power. Friends, we are made in the image of God. We have minds to think, and we've been given immortal souls, The law of God is written on our hearts. We have moral agency that animals do not possess. Friends, only the creator makes sense of a world with morality, of a world with objective moral values. And our world operates on this basic truth that good and evil are realities. Well, friends, a theory like evolution does not account for morality. If we were to actually operate from the standpoint of natural selection, we'd be confronted with the question as to why we even bother caring for others in the first place. If it's only about the survival of the fittest, we may as well then let the weak and poor die off, right? But no, we don't operate like that because it's morally wrong. Instead, we love, and love is good. And so we've seen in this creation narrative that everything that God created was good. You see that repeated, that it was good. And so we can operate our lives knowing that there's this goodness and meaning and purpose in life. My friends, even if you ever get challenged by a so-called atheist, Even so-called atheists operate this way as they craft some sort of moral and meaningful framework for their lives. Let's move forward for our last chunk here. Verses 29 to 31 
chapter, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Day 6, now leading into day 7, where God finishes his work and rests, and the creation cycle is completed on the sixth day. God rests on the seventh, and that provides people with a model for the cycle of labor and rest and labor and rest. Interesting to note, friends, there's no mention of evening and morning after day seven. In some sense, friends, I think this is because that Sabbath ordinance continues, right? And, and we, as the church, as the people of God, we're, we are exhorted to participate in this Sabbath rest. And ultimately, as we look forward to the eternal Sabbath rest of heaven, the eternal peace of heaven. But that rest, friends, is something that you can experience right now in Jesus Christ. That rest has entered your new hearts in Christ. We're running on that Sabbath rest in a deep sense. And so the narrative of creation then, friends, as we've said, reassures us of meaning and purpose in life. Because, friends, only a life with the existence of God has meaning in the first place. Atheism, that is actually what it sets out to be, only leads to a life of complete meaninglessness, right? If the universe is just random, then nothing means anything. But most so-called atheists affirm that good and evil are realities in some sense. And then they say that the existence of God is logically incompatible with evil and suffering. But the thing is, friends, atheism rejects God, which means it rejects logical morality. Without God, there's no such thing as good and evil, just personal preferences. But the atheist instead tries to charge God with injustice, as if justice even exists in their framework. A couple things to note, friends. If there's such a thing as evil, then there's such a thing as good. If there's such a thing as good and evil, then there's a moral law. And if there's a moral law, then there's a moral lawgiver. Every time that the problem of evil is raised, it is either by a person or about a person. Which means that the questioner, which, who most likely is atheist in this sense, assumes that other people and themselves have intrinsic worth. This is an assumption that they make. Right? Someone is being wronged. But that's not an assumption that you can logically make in a random evolutionary universe with no primary mind or personal being as its creator. Friends, if all we are is a random collection of atoms, how can anyone attribute essential worth to themselves? You can't. But friends, we do have intrinsic worth. Why? Because the Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God. That we are loved by the word of God. Jesus Christ, he loves us. The Bible tells us so. And so God looks at his creation and affirms that it was very good. Very good. And so we're left with the question, well, where did evil come from then? Why good and evil? 
Well, friends, when we get to the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin, we will see Satan, the serpent, tempt Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, who through their free will decision to eat of the tree, brought with it the corruption of our human nature, the bondage of sin, original sin. Important to note, friends, in the beginning, Adam and Eve had the freest sense of free will, and so did the angels. And this is not the same as our situation. After the fall of Adam through original sin, through the bondage of sin, we do not have the ability to turn to God of our own will without being born again, which is a work of God by the Holy Spirit. We cannot choose good apart from God changing the disposition of our hearts and finishing the work that he started in us as we continually rely on his mercy. And so again, we're left with the question, where did this original evil come from? Before we get to the doctrine of man and then the doctrine of sin in the weeks to come. Well, in Luke 10, verse 18, scripture says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And all we know, friends, is that this fall of Satan must have occurred somewhere after the angels were created and before he tempted Adam and Eve. But where did Satan, as an angel who was not corrupt in nature, where would he get this evil desire from in the first place? Well, friends, frankly, the Bible does not give us an explanation as to the ultimate origin of evil. Surely we can speculate, you know, we can say the angels were not in the bondage of sin. They had the freest sense of free will. So maybe Satan could freely choose good and evil at this point. All right. Or maybe it's found in the reality that Satan and the angels were, again, perfectly free. And there was some sort of situation where he had to choose between God's presence and his absence. Choosing to freely love God. But friends, again, this still doesn't really fully solve the question of where Satan's evil intent came from, since he wasn't corrupt in nature. Evil arising out of the will of the angel not choosing good. We're not quite sure. The Bible doesn't say. But all we really know is that the devil was created, that his choice turned toward evil, that he was prideful. He rebelled against God and was cast down. We also know, friends, and uphold that God did not create evil and that God is not the author of sin. Evil is an activity in which someone chooses the absence of good. Evil really is no thing. It's not created. It's just the corruption of the good. Evil is an activity of some being, but it has no being in itself. And so we rest assured, friends, that God has his purpose for the entrance of evil into this world. And that God ordained evil for a redemptive purpose. And that God has the ability to order a universe in which he uses evil for perfectly pure and holy purposes. Which we will only fully understand in the final analysis in glory. And remember friends, the only way that you can identify something as being evil is against the backdrop of good. The presence of evil points to the reality of the good. So whenever you're challenged, this is an argument for the existence of God, not against God. God, who is our good creator. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. What Joseph's brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. 
What Judas meant for evil, God meant for good. And so we can take heart, believer. God is our good creator, creating all things good. And God sent his son for us to take on evil once and for all on that good Friday, on the cross of Calvary. The fact that God permits evil is a mystery that God illuminates by his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose to vanquish evil. The cross of Calvary, Christ crucified. This is our answer. This is our redemption. And so God causes the universe to come into existence that we might live for all of eternity through faith in him as we find true rest in him and as we look forward to the new creation that is even present within us now since we've been born again, the new heavens and the new earth to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the reality of the doctrine of creation. God, that you are an intelligent designer, that you order all things, Lord. God, that you have your purposes and your plans, that we are made in the image of God to love you, Lord. And Lord, even though we don't know all of the answers, we can rest assured that you have your purposes and plans and that you are at work in our lives and in our salvation. Be with us, Lord, that we would be vessels to defend the faith and to defend this doctrine of creation when we're asked why we believe what we believe. In your glorious name we pray. Amen.